0: Today we're hearing from Deidre Cartwright from Safe Lives and Zoe Jackson, the Operations Manager at Aurora New Dawn. They'll be discussing Zoe's experience of providing a frontline service to families facing abuse in a world under lockdown. Zoe, how are you? I'm
1: well, thank you, all things considered. Yeah, doing
0: okay. Um, Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and about what Aurora does?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm the operations manager um, at Aurora New Dawn. We are a charity based in Portsmouth and working across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and and slightly beyond providing support to anyone experiencing domestic abuse, sexual violence and uh, stalking. So we deliver a variety of services under those banners.
0: Okay, Um, so COVID-19 has obviously changed all our lives on every level in a very quick, drastic and quite unprecedented way. And there are still a lot of unknowns about what's going to happen over the next few months. Um, But one thing that we do know is that families and individuals are still experiencing domestic abuse. Um, And I think what we're finding more and more is how the effects of COVID-19 in our lives has made this situation worse for families who are experiencing abuse just from what your experience has been at aurora over the last few weeks over the last month what have you seen as the impact of COVID 19 on the individuals and families that you're supporting
1: yeah i mean absolutely i think you make the point that COVID 19 is it closed everyone's world down didn't it overnight and suddenly we're dealing with issues we've not faced before um So we're dealing with self-isolation, social distancing, lockdown on a personal level, um, as well as professionally. And I think for victims, those same restrictions immediately kind of, you know, essentially they were put into state-mandated isolation, weren't they, with perpetrators, and their world's also shrunk in the same way that that all of our worlds did. So that changes the risk dynamic, it changes their support options, it changes their access to um, their friends and family and their communities, and that has a real impact on on their safety um, and on the support that's available to them
0: yeah and I can imagine it's increasing other risks in their lives I mean I know my mental health is suffering from being in isolation I can imagine there's a like a lot of factors in their lives at the moment that could make the situation worse whether that's mental health finances whatever it is
1: absolutely so there's so many stresses for all of us at the moment and I think you know when you you take that for someone that's not experiencing domestic abuse, that feels pretty massive. So for victims, that's going to feel even more huge. And like you say, there's worries about finances, that there's going to be tensions, you know, in, in family homes. There are There's limited access, kids aren't going to school, um, you know, that support that you might have been able to get hold of um, in your community, even not necessarily from a specialist service, but from your schools and your GP and, and all of those services that would have been perhaps available to you as an outlet are suddenly not there anymore so it really has shrunk uh people's world down and for survivors that's going to feel really frightening you know it's going to feel really really scary their access to information is going to feel really limited so we're working against that really as services and um my ceo said the other day that it's like kind of watching your clients through a window and i think that's really um. Um, you know, true way of looking at it, that you can kind of see them, but you can't necessarily get to them in the the way that you used to. So that's why we've got to be creative and we've got to adapt what we're doing.
0: And what have you done to adapt your approach to meet their needs currently? Um...
1: Well, a number of things, really. I think we were working um, normally right up until the point that, that we could no longer do that. So we were doing face-to-face work and, um, and based in the office right up until the, the government told us that, that we needed to change the way that we were working. So we mobilised to remote working within um, within about 24, 48 hours of that guidance. So we've got staff working remotely, still um, in contact with all of their clients. We're not doing any face-to-face work at present, um, but they are in contact with clients over the telephone and over... Um, other kind of mechanisms if it's safe and appropriate to be doing that Um, so we have access to Skype and video chat facilities. Um, We've been fortunate in that most of our tech we were able to um, move with us to working remotely so staff have got access to all of our systems we've also been able to divert our office phone so we're working a duty system from home so there is a member of staff answering that normal office landline all of the time um, and we're dealing with queries coming in through all of our usual um, email inboxes Um, what we have had to do is get creative in terms of how we reach our clients. So we have a project um, called our DVA car project, for example, where we deploy advocates with Hampshire Constabulary on a Friday and Saturday night. Um, and we carried on doing that right up until we could, until you know we couldn't, they couldn't have any civilians um, in the police station and they were really having to kind of cut down. So you yeah. had two choices there. You know, The choice is that you either stop running a service altogether and you say, well, advocates are no longer going to be working on that project because we can't go out with the police. Um, or you have the opportunity to think about how you could use those resources differently. And our CEO and community projects manager worked um, very quickly together to transform that service from deploying with the police um, and being physically there with them to a 24-hour police hotline. So we mobilised that within about 72 hours. So we're now operating a 24-hour hotline locally for the police to use as they're deploying to DV incidents, Um, so that they can have access to a specialist member of staff. That victim can talk to someone at that point the police officer is with them and get some independent support, risk assessment, and we would then triage and and refer on. So that service is continuing, albeit that we're not out there with the police, we are with them when they're in the room with that survivor.
0: Wow, that's really amazing that you've been able to change that around so quickly and be creative about how you're still there in the community for the... The individuals and families you're supporting.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been really positive, and I think you know it's it is really easy to feel quite negative about what's going on at the moment, and feel worried about all of our clients, and and worried about our own situation. And there's a lot mm-hmm. to about. But I think for me, there are some real positives in this. We've been challenged to work in different ways. We've learned a lot about how our services translate to remote working. And, you know, we've had to change some technical stuff around and we have found some things that don't work as well that we will take forward, you know, even after all of this is over. Um, and I think it really does for me show just how adaptable, um, just how responsive, just how dedicated, really, um, our team and frontline practitioners are all over the country. We've, you know, we've been fortunate to touch base with a lot of people over the last couple of weeks. And we've been sharing a safety plan that our CEOs has developed and speaking to a lot of services and, and people are just doing what they do best. You know, this is crisis work at its best. It's people, mm. responding, right, how can I do this differently? How do I reach these clients? What do I need to think about differently? And just adapting. So, I, you know, really um, pay tribute to, to the frontline staff up and down the country that are just making this work when they've got their own stuff going on as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's really brought out the best in people and I think it's shown how we can work really collaboratively and we can be very creative and we can be quite efficient to get things out quite quickly for our families. And hopefully that's something all of us can do moving forward and learn from.
1: Yeah. And the partnership's been really good. You know, this is, again, the sector's responded in partnership um, and that's been great to see. You know, immediately you see organisations talking to each other. What are you doing? How can we share that practice? How can we learn from each other? You know, we've reached out to um, police partners and to our partners in the armed forces, we do a lot of work with the forces within my service. So we've been talking to everybody about what do you need from us, how can we adapt, how can we share resources, and that's been really, really positive. So there's a lot of creativity coming out of this. There's a lot of dedication, which we always knew was there. You know, mm. we're proving ourselves that we're really adaptable, and, and we're learning from each other, and that feels really positive in the middle of something that you know overall could be seen as, as quite a negative situation.
0: Definitely, and. I wonder how we might be able to continue some of this work going forward because, I mean, these are all great things to do in a crisis, but it sounds like the kind of stuff we should be doing anyway. Have you learned anything about the way that we work together or can work better together that you're going to take going forward?
1: Definitely. I mean, I think there's some real short term stuff for us, as I've already mentioned, some procedural things. I mean, on a really kind of micro level, for our service, for example, we've made the transition in the last couple of weeks to a, an electronic shared um, diary system, which, you know, I'm sure other services already had, but we actually didn't. And that, you mm. know, You immediately see the weakness in that when you're working remotely and you don't have access to each other's calendars. So, you know, we've we've changed that and that will be something we almost certainly don't change back. Um, There's a lot to learn from partnerships. A lot of the creativity that's coming out um, will be really useful just to keep running even after all this is done. So I think when we've got a chance to breathe as a sector and when this is all over, at whatever point that is, and when we've got some breathing space, it's really important that we all sit down together together. And we look at some of the best practice that came out of that. And we look at some of the things that maybe didn't go as well. um, And that if we were faced with something similar in the future, we would perhaps change. It's all about sharing and learning, isn't it? And we're all, let's be honest, doing this for the first time. We've never, this is unprecedented. And I know people keep saying we've not come up against anything like this before. We've not had to mobilize in this way. So it's really important that when we get a breather, we look at what we can take forward, what we would change, the learning from that. And we do a really good review on it. Um, and, and get the best bits, really.
0: Mm, definitely. I think what's unique about this situation is we've had to mobilise while in isolation, mm. which feels very counterintuitive and the main thing that we're all trying to work around. And you would mentioned earlier about how Individuals and families' lives are changing, and the fact that they don't have the access to the support networks and the professionals that they may used to have. So, the local school, their health visitor, their GP, their childcare provider, their counsellor, whoever it is. What is your advice to professionals um, from other sectors who may be providing or used to be providing, need to find new way of providing support to families in these circumstances?
1: I think the first thing is for people to stay vigilant you know we we know that domestic abuse hasn't gone anywhere and we know that actually we're facing increasing risks we've seen um, you know increasing fatalities over the last week or so certainly in our service we are seeing different and new um, ways to control coming out you know the use of coercive control behavior is adapting as our situation adapts you know perpetrators are very much using isolation and and um, social distancing in their favor as we know they do you know perpetrators work with what is available to them Mm -hmm. Um, stay vigilant this stuff is out there if you're having contact with people we still need to be asking those questions. We need to understand that people's access to services is even more restricted. So we have to take those chances and take them well. We have to ask the right questions. We have to be curious and proactive in asking people what's going on at home in exploring concerns and in raising those concerns. So stay vigilant. Make sure that you're aware of what your local services are doing. I don't think I've come across a local service that is no longer providing anything. Everybody is trying to keep going. So know Mm. what your um, options are to get people into support. As I say, a lot of services have adapted and they're delivering new things and they've got new ways of of um, getting to, to victims. So make sure that you've got that information that you can um, share with people. Um, and really just be creative, think creatively. This isn't about saying, well, we can no longer get to people, so let's give up. It's about thinking about how you adapt your ways of working and how you can continue um, to make sure that those victims have access to support. Um, get stuff displayed, circulate information about specialist services on your social media. I know um, Hampshire Constabulary have done a really good um just simple poster around um COVID-19, domestic abuse. We know that it's difficult for you. Here's the numbers that you can call, this is how services. So again, sharing that amongst um, our networks so it gets out to the people that need it is really important.
0: Definitely. I think, you know, we can all get very focused on the obvious uh, health implications of COVID-19. But I mean, what everybody is experiencing right now is the lockdown, which I think is a perfect storm for increased coercive and controlling behaviour, but also all the stresses that we've talked about, um, that can increase the risks around domestic abuse. So I think, you know, like you said, when any agencies involving themselves in a family's life, to be thinking about domestic abuse because really this is the kind of situation where that would become worse. What is your advice to other domestic abuse and sexual abuse organizations who have found themselves in a similar situation where the service they provide has to change quite remarkably, but they do need to provide a service?
1: I think, you know, again, I know I've said it already, but the first thing is is really to go easy on yourselves. This is unprecedented. We're all learning. You know, there's there's no right or wrong to this. There's no textbook model. It's the first time we've done it. So, um, you know, look at how you can adapt. Um, Now is the time to be creative. If you can be creative and you've got space to do that, now's the time to try new things. You know, what what is there to lose there? Keep your core services, but can you adapt them? You know, as I say, our um, hotline is one example of that, but you might be able to do... Um, a million different things within your own services stay in touch with each other it's so easy you know we're remote working to kind of get our heads down and just be in silo and one of the strengths of the sector has always been that we support each other and we have good support available for our staff and we debrief with each other as teams and, and you have that team connection so don't lose that think about the ways that you can maintain that you know do your team meeting by video call we did that for the first time last week it was hilarious um <laughs> But, you know, you've just got to try and stay in touch. You know, make sure that you're taking breaks as well. One of the things that you, anyone will find with remote working is that, again, it's easy to be head down. And not to be taking those breaks. We are all dealing with this on a personal level as well as a professional level. So we yeah. have to take care of ourselves and our well-being is everything. And if we're not well resourced um, as individuals and we're not feeling well as individuals, then we can't support our clients properly. So this is about being more flexible with yourself, taking breaks when you need to, getting out there and doing your daily exercise that you're allowed to do, walking, listening to music, walking away from that laptop, being more flexible with working times if, if you possibly can. So stay connected and look after yourself. But this is the time to try new things and, and think about how you can be creative.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, going back to one of the other points that you made, you'd said that, that um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, you'd said that from what you've seen and experienced over the last, you know, a few weeks that perpetrators are changing the way that they're, I guess, utilizing their control in these current circumstances. What are some of the key things that you see that that you think services should be aware of um, in the way that perpetrators are changing their behavior?
1: Um, Well, one of the things that that came up quite quickly is, um, you know, how lonely and challenging it is for all of us, again, you know, for everybody when you're in isolation perhaps because you are unwell or um for other reasons and how you have limited people that you can then rely on and limited people Mm. around you um and certainly what we've seen on our cases is perpetrators being very quick to come in and be offering to um go out and get kind of goods for people that are having to self-isolate um, or offering to take children more than perhaps they would do or have more contact with children and our victims are in a very difficult position particularly if they're sick um, and feeling that they're not able to look after those children they don't have any childcare options and um, you know a lot of victims struggling with whether they then give the children to perpetrators on you know um, as an ad hoc kind of contact thing so that they can get themselves better, but being worried that those children won't come back. And so that's the sort of thing that we're dealing with is, um, you know, again, perpetrators working with that situation and saying, you know, well, I'll take them, just let me have them. And and victims being understandably worried about whether those children are going to be returned. So um, again, it's about, you know, we can't make those decisions for people, but it's just about exploring some of the options around that. It's also about linking in with You know, your local solicitors, who is still operating, is there still a service there, you know, make sure that people are well resourced to get the advice they need if it comes to that. Um, But absolutely coercive and controlling behaviour, adapting with the process of social isolation, um, you know, people not being allowed out, very much feeling like they have to keep their heads down um, and just try and get on with things. Um, Although we are also getting um, an increased number of requests for people to get out, um, which actually is, is, you know, that's positive. So um, Mm. perhaps is moving people quicker than they otherwise would do um, to a place where they decide that they they want to to go to a place of safety. So we've been doing um, that a fair bit over the last week is liaising with our um, local refuges and um, trying to get people out as safely as we can.
0: And then those spaces have been available for people when they've needed them. I don't I, I don't know yet how refuge has been affected by COVID nineteen. Yeah,
1: we've been really fortunate. We've managed to get people um, spaces. We um, are linked in with our local refuge providers, so we've, we're getting bulletins all of the time from them now around the spaces that they've got, which is really helpful because it means that we can target our inquiries a little bit better um, when we are working with people that need to go. So, again, it's that partnership um, and just anticipating before it happens what information we all need to be able to do this as quickly as possible. So um, people are reaching out for help. Um, our duty line is is busier than it's ever been, so that's mm. possible to me that people are finding the space to call but it's just about us being able to respond Um, I guess the only challenge for us as a sector going forward from that is that we are already top loading as it is so we are already dealing with high volumes of work um, you know more work than we have resources and this is only going to continue throughout COVID-19 you know our existing clients are going to need probably additional support we're going to have new clients coming on board that want advice and support. And even after all of this is done, there is going to be a period where um, people are going to need supporting through the after effects of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I am I mean, I'm assuming that for a lot of people, they'll be experiencing domestic abuse, potentially for the first time within these circumstances. And then you think of what they go through to, to come to terms with the fact that they're experiencing abuse, recognising it, and what it will take for them, you know, on the other end of all of this to then come through the other side and seek support. It's just going to be one of the many things that we'll be seeing as the aftermath of COVID-19.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, we know, don't we, again, outside of the domestic abuse sphere, that we're probably going to be dealing with the impact of this for a significant amount of time. Mm. And I think the same goes for domestic abuse. You know, this is a marathon, not a sprint now. This is about supporting people that we've already got in the best way that we can, responding to those who are now coming forward and saying, actually, I need help, um, and being able to continue to respond to those in the months and, and, you know, possibly the years after this, um, where, like you say, this has been their first experience of of that behaviour, and we need to work with them around that.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important you saying that it's a marathon, not a sprint, because I don't know if you felt like this, but in the beginning, I think everybody was in the frame of mind that this is going to be a few weeks, this is going to be a few months, and Nobody knows how to deal with this, so let's all run to figure out what we can do to respond. And now we're like, oh, this could be half a year, this could be longer. We really need to long-term change the way we're working together to support people and slow down a bit so that we can be actually sustainable.
1: I think that's a really important point. You know, I've said that we respond well in a crisis, and we do. And, Mm. you know, this is up and down the country. We've mobilised really quickly. But I do also think based on what we now know and based on the fact this is going to be um, probably a longer period of time than we initially all felt and hoped that there is room there for some longer term planning as well. So good to take a breather and take a step back and not always just do the immediacy of of what's happening, but have a think about how your services are going to respond in the medium to long term as well, because there's going to be an impact of this going way past the initial crisis response. Um, You know, I think in the first week, we were all just running around and trying to get everything sorted. And now we're all bedding down into it. Now is the time to start thinking in the slightly longer term about what your support will look like. Say, for example, if you're remote working for a significant period of time, what does that look like? How do we make sure we continue to to adapt and and meet clients where we need to and get them the support they need?
0: Yeah, and I'm guessing the risks are going to change over longer periods of time as well. So it's really important to continue to evaluate that and monitor it um to see how people's lives change and develop over the coming months. Um
1: yeah, absolutely, and just see what we're seeing and see what new behaviours are coming out. Mm. Um, you know, see how perpetrators are adapting. And again, this is part of this learning process that we talked yeah. about earlier and being able to when we get the time and space to do that um reflect back on on what happened during this period and, and learn from that going forward but we can learn as we go you know we don't have to wait until this is finished and i know you know um safe lives have been working with ceos up and down the country on conference calls and everyone's talking about it. That. and that's the right way to be doing it is to be you know making sure that we're all um linked in with each other and talking about this as it happens so that we can respond in the best way
0: yeah definitely and just i have one more question going back um you were talking about how you've adapted your approach to meet the needs of families and individuals right now in their current circumstances. Um, can you talk a bit more about the, the safety plan um, that, that you've developed and kind of the key areas that the safety plan focuses on and where people can get that if they want to access it?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the first things that we did, um, or that um, Shona, who's our chief executive, did um, when all of this was developing um, was to sit down and, and really write what I probably call safety planning guidance actually. Um some safety planning guidance for particularly for victims and survivors who are Um, in isolation, in lockdown with their perpetrators. And, um, you know, I smile because I realise what she's done there. We we all have a background within our senior management team in crisis work and frontline work. So the first response that she had was, I need to sit down and think about how we're going to support survivors. So she went in and and did this safety plan. And it really is um, based around what we know are the good principles of safety planning and risk assessment, which is about working with the context that we've got and working with the situation that we've got. So it's exploring with um, victims and survivors what their home life looks like, um, how that's going to be impacted and changed by the fact that they no longer have access to their outside support. The normal safety planning advice that we might give might be to, you know, speak to someone at school or to, you know, go out to a neighbour's house or whatever. How does that change with the um, social distancing measures that we've got? What would your new option be? You know, who would you be able to go to? Reminding people that they can still call the police. I think that's really important because we see the police being overloaded with various things and and there might be an assumption that they're no longer dealing with um, or perhaps domestic abuse isn't at the forefront. And it absolutely is. I know from speaking to colleagues in Hampshire Constabulary, they're still responding as they always did. They're still arresting perpetrators. So reassuring people that they can go to the police. Thinking about how the dynamic has changed by children being around in the house. Mm. Thinking about safeguarding all the time. We have to keep our safeguarding hats on don't we and children are no longer in school Um, so for children who are victims who are witnessing this behavior who are exposed to that we've got additional safeguarding concerns there but we may have dynamics of abuse changing with the presence of children as well so that's to explore Um, exploring new ways of how um victims can get in contact with services you know we always check don't we if contact is safe we've always been, been used to doing that but again it's about if you're in close quarters with your perpetrator and you don't have as much access to your telephone how can we potentially use the measures that are in place to get you that contact so could you go to the supermarket as the only person in your house that goes to the supermarket if you're doing that is that a chance for us to be able to contact you how do we work with the mechanisms we've got but do it safely for you at the same time so it's really about digging down into this micro level of people that are you know stuck in a property together what does that Mm. mean you tell us what you think is going to happen and we will then respond to that in the best way that we can.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And people can access um, a version of that on, I don't know if it's accessible on your website, but it's also accessible on the Safe Lives um, COVID-19 Page, yeah, so um, on
1: their I've got um, a version that we can access. People can drop us a line. We're just asking people to drop us a line from work email addresses, just so that we can um, kind of keep track of where it's going out to. Um, but yeah, on our info at uk address, which is on readily available on our website um people can you know it's being shared it's been you know spoken to people from um, all over the country had someone emailing from the shetland islands which was great the other day and actually it's been a really nice opportunity just to check in with everyone and see how people are and um yeah say definitely. That they're doing okay and again see on the the front line how services are responding which is which is great
0: yep well there's a lot to be proud of right now. There's a lot to, you yep. know, be concerned and worried about, but definitely a lot to be proud of for mm-hmm. people who are providing that, that frontline support to families. Thank yeah. you for joining me today. You're
1: welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Are you going to do anything fun this weekend in your lockdown state?
1: I am going to be walking. Um, So okay. I am making the most of my um my one period of exercise a day and I've been getting back into walking which is nice um so yeah i hoping the sun's going to shine and I might be able to do some gardening as well which I've also taken up because I don't have much other choices to have, you know, <laughs> have, have do my garden um but yeah just getting outside and making sure that there's fresh air and you know that I'm taking yeah. time for me and um yeah just trying to all adapt as best we can aren't we
0: yeah and you've got your dogs don't you
1: I have, yeah. So they'll be going out for they'll be going out for walks as well and spending time with me in the garden. They're following me everywhere at the moment, so um, I'm sure that'll be a bit challenging as the weeks go on, but we'll deal with it.
0: They can feel the the minor stress.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think well, I think they're just enjoying having me around at, at the moment. Yeah, I'm sure we will all get sick of each other eventually, but bless um, yeah. <laughs> them, they're great company. So I might be in uh, might be in lockdown, but at least I've got those two
0: yeah i think kids are like that as well my kids seem fine they're like hey wake up when i want do what i want <laughs> and the parents are like
1: help me <laughs> uh, we're all just navigating so many new challenges at the moment aren't we it's just it's, yeah uncharted like, territory for all of us and we're all winging it and just doing the best job we can that's all we can do
0: yeah exactly